Morning, friends, and thank you so much for tuning back in with us as we get to lesson, I believe this is lesson five of our series on stewardship. And uh, as we've talked about so far, we've looked at the importance of, of this study. Um, we've also looked at our idea of being a fiduciary or power returning for God. And our last couple of classes, we've tackled budgeting and, and how we kind of can put some of those principles into practice as we get together. Joining me as always is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Ray. How's everything in Somerset this morning? It's beautiful this morning. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you know, very blessed. So we got birds singing in the background. It's a good day. Shangri-La over here. God's country. That's, that's right. Good, good country. Good country. Land of milk and honey. So uh, you, you have big plans for the three-day weekend. You guys going to go all the way to living room? <laughs> I don't know. Andy told me this quarantine was over. I'm, I, I feel cut loose and free. I, I don't think they've opened the lake down there, though, right? I, I don't know. I don't keep I, up very well. I'd be surprised if there weren't pitchforks in Somerset over that. But <laughs> uh, as we uh, as we get in here this morning, again, kind of setting the stage, uh, budgeting is, is where we kind of got into this idea of, of looking at these categories the last few weeks. Michael, catch us up to, to where we're at from a, a budgeting standpoint and where we're going to go this morning. Sure. Uh, well, I'm going to go back, Mike, to, uh, to a, a presentation that we began um, in our last lesson just on this concept of Christian budgeting. And, um, you know, we, we, we kind of started just with the concept of, you know, is budgeting something that, that God cares about? And I might go even back a step from that. So it is, is our finances and our, our – uh, you know, our assets, something God cares about. Well, I hope that we've established uh, and convinced everyone that, that, that is an affirmative that God, that God cares very much about um, how we treat his possessions. Um, they're his, we're stewards of them. And there is just uh, ample evidence in scripture, both in the old and new Testament that um, how we handle our possessions is an index of our heart. And so this, this budgeting is a is a Christian concept. God tells us to know the conditions of our flocks. He tells us that um, it's expected that if, you know if we want to build a tower, we sit down and, and count the cost. Um, and, and again, I know we understand that count the cost um, idea or parable is is has, has some heavenly meaning, but the earthly story kind of is meaningful there too. Uh, that, that Jesus understood that that knowing the, the condition of our of our possessions was was important. Um, and if we are truly stewards, if this is God's stuff, uh, as we've said before, every spirit, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. And so how we, how we handle these dollars is critically important. So I'm, I'm going to go briefly through the things we talked about in the last class as we lead into uh, kind of what we're talking about today. So, you know, the first thing we mentioned is every budget is, is based on a certain income, right? Um, and this, this particular budget that we are sharing here, this generic uh, stewardship budget is based on an income of 50,000. It's a household income and that is gross. And we touched on those things in the last class. That's, that's before uh, any, any taxes or any benefits come out of that paycheck. What's the gross number? It's 50,000. And that is a state median. Uh, so by definition, half, half of the potential audience of this class would be below that number and half would be above. Um, but it's, it's whether, whether your individual number is above or below that, the principles certainly still apply. Um, but, but, you know, every, every budget has to start with, uh, with something coming in. And so, so that is, that's, that's what this particular budget is based on. 
And then below that, you see different categories, different buckets of um, expenses or of funds going out. And we talked about what we believe is uh, the first one uh, to consider, and that is that is our giving. And uh, you know whether and we talked at some length about the distinction between giving to the local congregation and, and giving to, to other uh, I mean, listed here as charitable, but we, we would call those other kingdom purposes um, and the importance of that and the part of our income that should be devoted to that. And so uh, that, that's where we that's where we left at the last class. So if we are truly giving God the first fruits, um, then then giving is uh, the first line item that gets considered in our budget. And, and so that we, we think that's a godly principle. This, this Mike, in, in this lesson, we want to talk about another facet of where, where our money goes, another bucket, so to speak. And after giving, we're now going to talk about saving. And uh, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you take the reins there and kind of talk about, in this, this specific budget, kind of the different buckets that that can, that can take, take place. Right. So many of the talking heads, you know, if you read Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or anybody else that's on the radio, that's far more uh, popular than Michael and I, um, you often hear for now, (laughs) for now, uh, uh, noted, Uh, you often hear this phrase that that you've got to pay yourself first, pay yourself first. Well, obviously, um, you know, that's not a scriptural principle. The scriptural principle is we pay kingdom goals first. And that's why we started with giving, but a close second behind that is that we've also got to prepare ourselves, uh, you know, in this idea of saving. So we need to, to put that aside so that, you know, for both an emergency standpoint and for planning for the future. And we're going to spend our time this morning talking about, uh, what that means in planning for the future. And we're going to look at some principles in scripture where that's absolutely, you know, what had happened. Um, but that those savings take on different earmarks. So savings, we're going to talk about it as a category, but also, you know, within savings is not only the, you know, emergency savings account, like you would have at the bank, you know, most people have a checking and a savings account, but also the need for life insurance, you know, how that is truly a savings mechanism how investments, um, you know, are, are a savings mechanism uh, around that too. And then retirement accounts, money that we're putting away for retirement. And we're going to spend some time this morning talking also about, uh, you know, what retirement actually means for a Christian and, and how we should look at and approach and fund that goal um, as truly a kingdom goal. And I'm persuaded more than ever uh, that, really when we plan our retirement correctly as a kingdom goal and what we're talking about retiring from is retiring from, you know, spending 40 hours at corporation XYZ that now we've saved and we've planned and we've budgeted enough that we can spend 40 hours working in the kingdom every week. Um, and some things that we can do, uh, to benefit there. So we'll talk about that. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, uh, there, but you know, this idea of savings is, is, pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, when you look at where people, uh, end up. So the average or median, again, we're using median numbers. So I think that's important. So median is half below half above. You just line up all the numbers and we're, we're taking the one directly in the middle. Uh, the median household savings is $7,000 in, in the U S 
So, you know, that's that what the average median household has is seven thousand dollars. And it now, should be and it should be noted, Mike, that that would that would be a combination of all these different types of savings buckets, right? Whether we're talking correct, about emergency correct. fund, retirement, other investments, that that's an aggregate number. That's a little scary. Yeah, I mean, I, so we're talking, you know, seven grand all in, and you know, I would argue if you really deep dive into those numbers. 99% of that money is in the 401k account. Uh, you know, that's typically, uh, you know, your largest asset because it's, it's, it's almost like taxes. It's forced out of your check. It's going in and you typically have some type of employer match or employer contribution or employer profit sharing on top of that. So we're talking the majority of people, you know, all, that's all they've got. Okay. So, or, or the median of people, half of all people, that, that's where they at. So, you know, if that's all you got and, and an emergency happens, what do you do? You know, and, and, and I think we sometimes use the idea of emergency, like an emergency is a completely unplanned event. Well, you know, if you've got 60,000 mile tires on your car and you've driven them 80,000 miles, is it an emergency if you blow out a tire? Is it, you know, if you got an HVAC unit that's supposed to last 15 years and you've had it for 22, is it an emergency if it blows out? I mean, I, I think we, you know, we take these things and say, oh, you know, well, what happens if this or that? Like things in life have a useful life expectancy. So therefore I can realistically plan and say, hey, my tires are gonna wear out after 60,000 miles or 40,000 miles or whatever the, the tread wear is. So I should be prepared to replace them when they get there my furnace is going to wear out in X number of years. So I have to be prepared to replace it when we hit X number of years. So, you know, emergency is, you know, is, is kind of an interesting way to look at it, but we should just plan that, look, if, if we can plan for most emergencies that cripple families, but if you're living paycheck to paycheck and every dollar you've got's going out, you don't have money for tires. You don't have money for HVAC. You may not have money for an oil change, but, you know, we should have that, you know, kind of planned and baked into the budget so that these things aren't crippling to a family. But here's the other thing, you know, and especially in times like this, you know, if we don't have an, an emergency fund, if we don't have a savings fund, there are a lot of families that, you know, may be facing one or both of them laid off right now. And, you know, while the governor and, you know, all the boys in Washington will tell you that, you know, hey, there's all these unemployment benefits. Talk to somebody that's trying to do that. It's taken a while to get there. You know, some people it's, you know, a month or six weeks behind before that first unemployment check comes in. And it's great that it finally came in, but you got bills to do between there, right? And so if you don't have something set up um, to fall back on as a cushion, you know, to be able to pay some bills while you're working things out, you know, and, and even in this pandemic, or, you know, if, you know, God forbid your, your company shuts down, you know, your company could file bankruptcy. You could be the best employee in the world at company XYZ, but based on, you know, terrible corporate management, your company files bankruptcy and you're looking for a job. Well, what are you going to do in the meantime? So that's all part of what we're talking about you know, in this idea of savings. M Michael, what's some of your thoughts, you know, just from a broad view, when we look at savings. Well, I love your concept there, Mike, that, that, uh, of, of what 
we should define as an emergency. I, I think perhaps better defined as, as I think this through that that mentally that that's really a replacement fund, right? I mean, because it's not, um, it is not house burn down money. It is replace the dishwasher money. And, and we know that there is, there is planned obsolescence and all that stuff, right? That, that, that it, it, as you know, there are things that are going to over time have to be replaced. And if that, if that catches us completely off guard, it starts the spiral, the cycle of debt um, that many people find themselves caught into. And so um, if there is not a, a replacement kind of fund, and, and I, I like replacement fund, I think better than emergency fund for just the reasons you articulated. Um, if there's a, if there's not a replacement fund, then we're, we're, uh, we're kind of limited on, on what our options are um, when, when those events happen. And, and no question that if you see somebody else in one of those difficult circumstances, we go back to the giving, go back to the giving lesson. We should be, we should have something there that we can share, but that may be even another reason that, that we, we have those replacement funds so we can help someone else in those times. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, we, 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 we spoke last, uh, last lesson. One of the practical things that we noted was we, we should have a kingdom purposes fund. Well, in, in a lot of ways, that's a savings fund before it's a giving fund. It kind of crosses, it kind of blurs the lines. And so we need to be setting aside our kingdom purposes, saving that money up, not for ourselves, but so we can help somebody else um, who, who, who may have a true emergency uh, that, that we can help. So I, I think, you know, we're not, we're not limiting ourselves to these buckets for sure. Um, and I, I think it's also important that um, we understand that there is, there is planned needs that, that we need to be thinking about. And, and I think it's, maybe jumping into the practical here, but I think it's perfectly reasonable to have those different buckets, even mentally or maybe even physically set aside. As you know, the chicken and savings accounts are pretty cheap. And so should, should there be a, uh, a car replacement bucket? It's just, it's, it's, it's money that's sitting out there for that purpose and it's earmarked for that and it's set aside. And there is a roof replacement bucket. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with those those being uh, not only mentally but physically segregated funds. Right, uh, and, and when we look at that, you know, there's from a financial planning standpoint, what we look at is, you know, essentially three different buckets with, within any of our, um, you know, accounts. Right, there is short term bucket. Right, this is stuff that we need to have readily available. And that's typically, that's your checking and savings account. That's money that's on demand. You can go touch today. Yeah. And I, to, to your point, I think in our example here, this would be the first line item. Yeah. It's the savings account. That is the short term. Something, something breaks today. The dishwasher breaks today. That's the replacement fund for that device. Sorry. Right. It, and you know, it, it's funny, uh, you know, we talk about going and getting our hands on it, but you know, in, in today's financial world, you can get into the app and move the money to your checking account, or you can pay directly out of your savings account from the app. So it, it, those types of things are, are what we're talking about here. Then there is medium term goals. So medium term goals, we're looking at somewhere in the three to five year space. So in those medium term goals, you don't have to have that money liquid and available because you know down the road is when you need that. So you've got the time to earn interest on that. 
So, you know, if you think about the, the parable of the talents that we talked about, that he said, hey, you could have at least given my money to the money lenders and gotten interest on it. You know, so you could and, and should, you know, give your money to the bank in the form of, you know, certificates of deposit or, um, you know, you can put it out in the capital markets in the terms of bonds or, or instruments like that where you're earning an interest rate of return because you don't need that money for three to five years. So that's the kind of the medium term bucket. Well, then and you again, can interrupt, interrupt again, that medium term bucket again in our example here would be that investments line, right? Yes. So, so in this, in this budget that, that we are proposing, there is that short term savings account kind of line, the, the, the dishwasher breaks today. And there's also the investment kind of line. We know we're going to need a car in three to five years. And that, that is perhaps where that money is segregated. Okay. Sorry. Right. And, and then finally in the same kind of investments bucket, um, you can segregate out, you know, things that are five years or longer. And, and there's where, you know, you're not looking so much as, you know, fixed rate type investments where you're just returning an interest, but you're looking for capital uh, growth type investments where, you know, if you've got a goal, you know, the roof, you know, we just put a new roof on. So, you know, from the new roof, I know I got 20 years. So I can put that new roof money into a mutual fund because I got 20 years. And so short term fluctuations in the stock market are not going to impact my roof money because I got 20 years on that college savings money for your kids. If you, you know, if you're looking in, in that realm or anything that's just retirement fills that, but there's also a, you know, a longer term goal. That's not necessarily retirement. The struggle with retirement is most retirement funds have 59 and a half numbers on them. So you've got to be 59 and a half to access those funds. So, you know, depending on what your age is, if you're 20, you know, you may have a goal that's going to come up in 20 years and you're 40, not 59 and a half. So, you know, you've got to kind of distinguish where you put those dollars. But the point is, um, without getting into too many rules and details, uh, but the point really is, is that, you know, we need to think about where we're putting those dollars for, you know, short term, medium term and longer term goals. But also, this begs just a completely separate question that we need to take a step back from is, we also need to have short, medium, and long-term goals, right? I, I think this is part of the reason why, you know, people don't have much in savings is that there's not the true consideration of, hey, this stuff's going to wear out. We probably should accrue for it, you know, uh, you know as, as we said, kind of in our introduction when we started this class, you know, Michael's backgrounds in, in accounting as, as, as a CPA and CPAs love accruals, right? You accrue for everything. And so kind of talk a little bit about that, that concept as it, as it relates here. Yeah. So it, uh, I definitely agree with your point is um, that, that there, there has to be, that's a, I think that's a Proverbs directive. Know the condition of your herds, right? Um, that knowing the condition of our assets and knowing that there is going to be uh, uh, a time when some of that has to be replaced, I think that that, that that proverb feeds into that, that we know the condition of our flocks. The accruing that you talk about is understanding that when, when a $10,000 um, planned and known replacement comes about, it's it's much easier both financially and I would say psychologically and for your mental health if there is a hundred dollars a month 
going into that bucket over a period of years to, to plan for that, uh, in your, in your term, accrue for that, that it is a, it is something that is building over time as opposed to that where we have our normal expenses. And then all of a sudden we have this enormous spike in expenses and that, that spike is what catches the, the un, uh, the unwise steward off guard. Um, because, you know, as long as our expenses are exactly normal and exactly what we expect, nobody has any problems really. Right. Um, I mean that, you know, we know in, in general, we know what the utilities and the cable bill and the mortgage are. And, and most who, if they're doing any level of budgeting kind of have those things covered. Um, but where, where the, the, the median uh, income that we talk about, um, where, where the problems arise is, is where there is not this, uh, accrual, this, this setting aside, uh, something little by little, uh, so that those spikes are not, uh, tragedies. And, and again, that's a, as we'll talk about, that's a biblical principle, setting aside little by little, accumulating uh, little by little, not in the accumulating of, of wealth in a bucket that we're trying to get rich scenario, but in a setting aside so that we can uh, be prepared um, when those, when those times come around. And there's a distinction there. And I think we'll get into that as we, as we dig into some verses here momentarily. Right. And that, that's kind of where I, I, I was thinking of that too, is, is we've got a very famous biblical example of accrual, don't we? Sure. A few of them. I got one in mind. You go ahead. Uh, well, I, I was thinking Joseph, right? Oh, well, I was, I was in first Corinthians 16. So I, I would think that we, that, yeah. that Paul essentially tells the Corinthians, he said, Hey, set aside something each first day of the week um, as a congregation, little by little and crew that up so that you're going to want to, you're going to want to support me with funds when I show up. And if that is a surprise expenditure, uh, then, then you're not going to be prepared. And, and I think the main point is you're going to be embarrassed that you can't help me if you're not, if you're not prepared for this. And so uh, even as a congregation, that was a spiritual directive given by Paul to set something aside, literally saving it up little by little. And so that when that time, that, that known event, Paul was coming at some point when that known event does happen, that they are prepared for it. And, and I, I love how, um, it's one of the old translations, maybe it's the King James version or whatever, but oftentimes we hear that at the t- at the collection, right? So we're going to lay aside and store, you know, or, you know, and you hear that, that phrase and it sounds goofy in our vernacular because we don't use those words, but think about them as, you know, just break them apart, take them out of that context. He's saying, we're going to take some money and we're going to put it in an account until you get there. You know, maybe in, Corinth, that's a lockbox or a strong box or a money a hole in the ground or a hole in the ground, whatever it is. You know, I'm not sure the banking systems of Corinth, right? I, I'm not really sure how that worked. I'm pretty sure they didn't give them a check. Uh, but, you know, in some way it was, we're going to set this aside. You're going to take it out of your possession, out of your daily living, and you're going to set it over here so that it's prepared for when I get there. Right. It's, I mean, just a it's a pretty simple concept of, you know, Hey, and, and when you come together on the first day of the week, this is when you're going to do this process so that when I come, all things are ready. So, you know, again, thinking about it from that standpoint is we know, we, we don't know when Paul's coming, do we? I mean, at this point when he's writing the letter, 
Paul's not really in control of his comings and goings at this point. So, you know, it may be a month, it may be six months, it may be two years before Paul gets there. But, but when he gets there, the preparations are already going to be made. And so I, that's similar in this idea of savings. The, the other guy I was thinking about was, you know, you think about Joseph. I mean, to me, that's almost, a, you know, the uh, major example or the first thing that comes to mind um, in, in, in Genesis 34. Do we have a, did we do a slide on Joseph or we just talk about him? No, you're jumping way ahead, but I'll let you do that. I'm super ahead. All right. So I'm sorry. I'm, um, we'll circle back to Proverbs. But with Joseph, if you, if you remember the story of Joseph, right, you know, after Potiphar's wife, you know, he's in prison. He meets the cupbearer and um, cupbearer and the baker. Yes. Two guys he meets in prison. So meets them, says, why the long face? You know, they say, well, we're in prison. It's sad here. He says, well, let's pick you up. He interprets their dreams. They forget about him. Pharaoh grabs him, and Pharaoh's having bad dreams. And so, so Joseph says, "Here's what your dream means. God has given me the interpretation of your dream, and your dream means that there's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take one fifth of the produce of the land during the seven plentiful years, and if we'll take that one fifth and we'll store those in barns when the lean years come." we're going to have plenty of grain. And not only, and remember how kind of the story ends, not only did they have plenty of grain for them, but they sold it to all the surrounding areas and doubled the size of Egypt over that. Because what they did here, and I think this is fascinating, it led to wealth, you know, which, which is something that prudence typically does, as we're going to talk about from Proverbs here in just a second. It led to wealth, but really what it is, it's planning. It's just being thoughtful. If you knew at some point the drought was coming, then you save some back, you know, and especially if you knew the drought was coming, you know, imminently. And that's the point that we've been talking about with accrual. I know the dishwasher is going to break. I know my tires are going to wear out. So why not accrue one fifth of the cost of the tires over the next five years? or one twelfth of the cost of the tires over the next 12 months, or, or whatever that number comes to be. But I think that's, that's exactly what we're talking about here with, with this idea of knowing that there's something coming up and starting to set aside for it. Notice that, you know, in here, they were taking one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt. They didn't take all of it. They didn't say, hey, we can't eat. You know, let's just lock everything down because it's going to get bad. It was, we're going to set aside a portion of this to fund long-term goals. We're going to take out of our short-term supply, we're going to fund a long-term goal. And, and that's I also, what Yeah, I would also note in that example that remember that those seven years where they were taking 20%, they were taking one-fifth, um, in, those, in those seven years, those were abundant years. And so that, that's kind of a biblical principle also I think we can apply here is that when we do have surplus, right, we, we get an unexpected bonus. We, we get a government stimulus check. Uh, what, what are we? What what is? What are we doing with those? With that surplus? Well, Joseph would give us the example of when when you have surplus years. That is the uh, that that is a perfect time. That is the opportune time, the wise time to again increase our giving. We do that first, and then increase our saving, um, so that when the lean years, which do happen when they come, that, that we can be more prepared for those. And so um, 
just just the concept of taking those unexpected income bumps, those those the birthday money or or the unexpected funds, and saving those. If 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 we did nothing more than just save those consistently, I think many would be much better off. Instead, you go to the local Walmart in Somerset, and and we're void of TVs as we speak. Why? Because stimulus money hits the bank, and it's it's a consumption uh, it's a consumption based thought instead of this Joseph thought. Right. And, and, and unfortunately, what we see is that, uh, you know, and here, here's the downside of this, and we're going to spend an, a lesson later on debt. But what people do because there isn't savings is also the median credit card debt is 16 grand. So the median $50,000 a year household has, you know, what's that, that quick math? Is that, you know, 25% of their annual income and in credit card oh. short term debt? Correct. You know, and so if, I would also note if you got seven thousand in savings and fifteen thousand in credit card debt, you have zero in savings. But go ahead. <laughs> well, technically, what you've got negative nine. Negative, so you got deficit. Yeah, <laughs> you're running deficit spending, which you know at a federal government level apparently is fine, but on a local household level is terrible. Oh no! Why do we think we do it as a government? <laughs> it's because the government <laughs> is made of people who are doing this in their household. <laughs> Well, and as a government, we've got a printing press out back, so the money just doesn't even matter. You just make it and throw it from the helicopter. Um, but that's a whole nother fiscal responsibility conversation to have. Uh, the, the point here, though, as we, you know, as we look at this is if we don't make plans, what we do is we end up in credit card debt. And credit card debt is the most expensive debt because it's short-term debt. It's meant to be revolved. You hear the term revolving line of credit. It's meant to, you know, it's for the purpose of not using your cash. But when you carry those balances at a 16, 18, 24%, it's, it's easy to see how some people get this snowball and they can never get out. We're going to talk about that later, but that's, that's what people are doing here. Instead of that, let's listen to the Proverbs, right? You know, Proverbs has, you know, great points where he talks about uh, you know, the, again, the wise man is saying, here are some principles you need to think about instead of getting wrapped up and in, in, in dead and being beholden to others. You know, here's what you need to think about. So the first one in, from chapter six, six through eight, it talks about, you know, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Uh, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers, right? So here, what comes every year? Winter. <laughs> and in an agricultural-based society, you can't grow stuff in the wintertime. You can't. So what do you have to do? You have to prepare in the summer, prepare in the harvest for the wintertime. Make your bread, stack stuff up because you know that's going to happen. This is the you know, same principle that Michael and I have been talking about with savings. We know that these expenditures are coming. It's, it's foolish for us not to look there. A uh, couple other thoughts in the Proverbs, Mike, and then, and then make another point here at the end. But um, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Hasty would be, um, you know, kind of profligate spending, right? Instead of uh, being thoughtful, being diligent about setting something aside. Proverbs 21 and 20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. A foolish man consumes uh, everything that is, is income without saving any treasure and oil in his own dwelling for the time when he needs it. The foolish man devours all of it. Uh, again, we talked about last time, if you're also, if you're stripping your vineyard bare, not only is there nothing for the, the sojourner um, that is our, is our command, 
but but also we, we can't set anything aside. In the, in the parable of the, the excellent wife in Proverbs 31, she considers a field and buys it. That's investment. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She is prepared. She has, you know, scarlet is, is almost an investment product in that day. It is a, it is a thoughtful um, in, in times of abundance, setting something aside so that um, in times of need, the household has what they have. So anyway, I just think that is an interesting example of the excellent wife. Um, and, and for those of us like Mike and I who are in team married up, we understand that an excellent wife has those attributes, thinking ahead, planning for her family. That's exactly the concept that we're talking about. The, the, the last uh, proverb here, and I'm, I'm actually going to go back to look at something that, that we talked about in the budget. And that is um, that there was a line item here for life insurance. And, and you might think, well, well what, what does that possibly have to do with, with saving? That, that's, an, that's an insurance product. Well, I, th- I think, Mike, to your point, we're looking at different time horizons here. The savings account is short-term, you know, short-term needs. The investment account is medium-term needs. The retirement account is is, is long-term, um, long-term planning. Life insurance uh, goes even, it's it's beyond life planning. Um, and, and is there a spiritual principle for that? Well, I would note Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves inheritance to his children's children. And so part of, in my judgment, Part of being a, a prudent with our uh, with our resources is thinking about um, not not that we're trying to to make our children rich, but if something happens to us, how are they? What 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 are they going to do? Um, that 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 seems to me to be a a wise and thoughtful use of resources and just another bucket of saving, not for our own benefit, but for somebody else's. And life insurance is, is one of those things, uh, you know, everyone uh, that is, you know, I would say outside of retirement age, I would almost unequivocally, if you're still in the accumulation phase of life, um, before you get to that distribution phase, um, you should have life insurance. And, and the reason is that, you know, what we do is those medium term and those long term goals are all well and fine as long as we're here, right? When we talk about accrual, it's, if I put away $20 a month, then in five years, you know, I'm going to have money for my goal. But the problem is if I get hit by a truck in year three, I don't have the money for that goal, right? It, it, that, that goal never gets funded. So, you know, we ought to plan that is as if, if I don't get here, especially where you've got a primary breadwinner in the household, you know, if you've got somebody that, you know, your household income is 50,000 for the year, but that's comprised of one that's making 40 and one that's making 10, we got to protect the 40, right? If that 40 goes away, you know, now the, the 10 can't make up the rest of the budget. Okay. So, so it's important that, 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 that income stream is protected. And with life insurance products, it works on the idea of leverage. You're paying very small dollars to get big dollars in case something happens to you. Now, so if you had a life insurance policy that paid, you know, half a million dollars out as a death benefit, but it was, you know, $20 a month. So 20 times 12 months, and let's say it was a 20 year policy times 20 years, you're going to pay $4,800 over the life of that policy. But if you die over the next 20 years, your family gets $500,000. That's, it's a great trade every time, you know, it makes all the sense in the world 
financially because you're committing $4,800 to protect 500,000. And, and that's the way really to do the math is what's my premium expense? What's it going to cost me over the term um, versus what I'm going to get? And, and this is not a class where we're going to get into the difference between term life and whole life and universal life and all that jazz. That, that's not what's important. <laughs> what's important is it's leverage and, and it's leverage that you're paying a small amount to protect a larger amount. And if you have children at home, if you have debt, if you have, you know, income that needs to be replaced because you have medium and long-term goals, I, this is, this is my pitch. 100%. You got to have some life insurance to protect that. In, in, that, in that way, Mike, it's literally the opposite of having a credit card debt. A credit card debt is some short-term payment or some short-term benefit for a much bigger long-term payment. Uh, life insurance is kind of the, the, the short-term payment for some potential long-term benefit. And, and I think Proverbs gives us that directive that we need to be thinking about um, uh, an inheritance is not, it can be looked down on at times, you know, uh, but inheritance is not a negative thing if it's done correctly. Um, and if it's handled rightly, uh, especially God forbid, if something happens to us, um, you know, while we're still in those income years, when our children are dependent on us, we need to be thinking, uh, thinking about that. Uh, I think that's a definitely a proverbial directive. So to the, one quick thing before we leave there, you know, we can, in, our children can inherit good from us, but our children can also inherit bad as we know. And, you sure. know, whether it's, you know, um, personality characteristics, traits, lack of work ethic, whatever. But one of the things, especially for a family is you can inherit debt. You know, if you've got, you know, let's say, you know, uh, in, in this scenario, you got a husband that, that's working and a wife that's, that's staying home, taking care of the kids. Well, if that husband dies and that income stream goes away, well, the wife and the kids just inherited a mortgage that they can't pay and bills that they can't pay. And if, if there's not some type of protection built in there, if, if that's not thought of, then what you've been left for an inheritance is, is dead and maybe a potential bankruptcy, which is, is a problem. Again, there's a balance between prudent saving and trying to accumulate wealth. I think that's an important distinction to make, um, especially in regards to leaving an inheritance to your children and to your children's children. Um, so uh, we, something we keep in mind, I don't think there's a number there. I think it's one of those many um, possession principles where we gotta, we're, we're intended to struggle with it and pray about it and, and make that distinction. But it is certainly a biblical principle. And, and let's slide just quickly back to 21.5. I, I love the way that it puts it. The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance. Not, not necessarily rich or wealth, just abundance. More than, what is an abundance? It's more than what you need. And, and that's, that's really what we're getting at here in savings is if you plan, if you just think about this stuff, you can accrue for and have excess. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be, you know, have Bill Gates money if you do a budget. But I believe if you do a budget, you'll stay out of $16,000 worth of credit card debt. You know, if, if you plan, you can accrue for these things and maybe even accrue for things that don't happen, right? You know, we talked about if you've got 60,000 mile tires, and, and you are accruing to replace them at 60,000 and you keep accruing, but they last till 75 or 80. You know what that is? That's abundance because you kept saving that money aside for that one goal. And turns out you didn't need it as quickly as you thought you did. 
So there's times like that, that, that this planning, this saving leads to abundance, not necessarily, I'm not saying we're going to get uber wealthy, but it gives us cushion, maybe is a better term for that. In the, in the time we have left, Mike, um, a few kind of questions, practical, uh, again, as we, uh, we're at this intersection of practicality and spirituality, some practical questions, I think, for Christians and saving. So I would ask these to you uh, because it's more fun when you get put on the spot than when I do. Is, say, is saving an indication of lack of faith? Um, are we, are we relying too much on ourselves when we say, I'm going to put this aside? Should we, is it not more godly rather to say that God will take care of us all? And, 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 uh, I, I'm not going to put this in my hands. I'm going to put it in God's hands. Well, uh, I think that's, that's just terrible fallacy, you know, cause what, what we would probably learn if the curtains were rolled back is God saying, I am providing by what I've given you and I've got some for the rainy day too, right? I didn't just give you scraps to where you can barely make it. If you would have properly handled the funds, you had plenty for today and for tomorrow. You know, to me, it's, it's more of a lack of faith when we don't, you know, consider our flocks, when we don't, you know, put these things to test and say, you know, hey, what are my assets? What are my liabilities? Where do I stand? And how can I, you know, how can I count the cost and protect for when, not if, when the rainy day comes, when the emergency comes, you know, right? And, and think about this principle, you know, we, we talk about this in, in other um, aspects of, of our spiritual lives, but, you know, what if everybody lives like that? You know, who's going to be there in the kingdom to help you out if everybody's spending every dollar that's in and saying the Lord will provide. Well, that just doesn't even make any sense. You know, right. If, if we've stripped our fields bare or, um, you know, there's, there's a phrase, I can't remember. I was kind of flipping around my desk here a minute ago looking for this quote, but you know, it, it's something to the effect of, you know, we even ate the seed corn. So when you plant corn, you have to keep so much of it back because you've got to plant that that's your seed for the next year. But when times have gotten lean and where, where farmers have gone bust and, and corn apparently is that if you eat your seed corn and you have nothing to plant, you have no future harvest either. So we've got to be careful that we've always got a little seed corn, you know, laying around uh, as faith that the harvest is going to come again. Yeah. Two thoughts on that. One is how do we think that God does provide um, if we're just standing out in the field with a bucket um, we're most likely that bucket's not going to get filled with the resources that we need. God provides through the times that are abundant. Uh, and, and to your point, uh, that, that uh, I think that makes perfect sense. Secondly, I would say it, it is spending 100% of our income that, in my judgment, is an indication of lack of faith because it, it completely disregards the source and the ownership of what we have. Um, so I, I would, I would, I agree with you and turn that question on its head a little bit. Secondly, what's the difference between, um, uh, this is a good question for an investment advisor. What's the difference between laying up treasures on earth? And remember uh, talking about a, a statement of Jesus we're all familiar with, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. Um, what's the difference between laying up treasures on earth versus prudent, responsible, godly saving? So context is everything. Um, and, and this is one of those that uh, I've heard people do almost to say that, you know, 
poverty is next to godliness. That if, if, if you, you know, are in abject poverty, somehow you're holier than others because you haven't laid up for yourselves any treasures on earth. What Jesus is talking about is where our confidence is. So prudent savings and, and, and being a good steward of what God has given us is, is a biblical principle, right? When we talk about, um, you know, Jesus says to count the cost. Well, there's an assumption there that there's something to count. <laughs> you know, how do you build a tower? You've got to count the cost. There's an assumption that there's something there to count, that you've got resources that you're going to depend on to be able to do something. But when we lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, what happens is that sometimes our faith, our safety net, our confidence is in our bank account and not in our God to provide. And, and, and I've seen that, that is, you know, as long as, the government is in control, or as long as I'm a U.S. citizen, like I feel everything's going to be all right, and I'm not really relying or depending on God for what I need. That that's just as much laying up for myself treasures here on earth. That's where my confidence is, as opposed to saying, you know what, I, I'm going to plan for tomorrow, but if tomorrow doesn't come, I'm okay with that because I'm going home. You know, I, I'm I'm okay with with the fact that. Um, you know, if the United States falls, if we end up under a different world power regime, I'm still okay with that because I'm just a traveler here anyway. I'm just trying to get home. So my treasure, my possessions, what's important to me is, is at the house in heaven. It, it's not what's in my bank account. It's not, you know, my house here on earth. It's not these possessions that give me confidence and give me comfort. It's the God that I serve that gives me confidence and gives me comfort. So I, I think that's more of the context. Yeah, completely agree. And, and I think um, as we think about, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 6, what Paul tells Timothy there is exactly in line with what you're saying. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into senseless and harmful desires. Well, that, that, that temptation is uh, a dependence on uh, the reliance moves from God to something else. And that, that's why that riches are, are very often a snare. So um, there, is there a saving that is not laying up treasures on earth? For sure. And I think there's, there's biblical principle for that. Mike, investing is risky. Um, that's, I've read that in every investment prospectus that, uh, that I've ever gotten. Investing is risky. Uh, is this gambling with God's money? And what is, is, there, is there a point where investment can become gambling? And, and what's the distinction? So, you know, for sure, it, it, investing is risky, but, but let's, let's define in, investing, right? Um, you know, oftentimes when I hear this, this quote or, or when I have these conversations, um, it, it, it's in the terms of, well, investing in the stock market is risky. So if I buy a stock today that's $20, tomorrow it could be $10, and therefore the stock market is risky. Okay, investing in anything's risky though, right? You know, if you plant a field, and you buy seed and you sow that seed, you have an investment of your time, your effort, your energy, plus your seed. And there is no guarantee that those crops are coming to market. There's no guarantee that there's a buyer on the other side of that. I mean, yeah. Think about the Proverbs 31 woman was praised for buying that field. There's risk associated with that. Sorry. Continue. There's tons of risk associated. And, and, you know, ask your local cattle farmer right now. I mean, beef prices are down 50 cents a pound. You know, there are cattle farmers right now that are, that are struggling that have investment in that cattle, that have 
you know, uh, whether, you know, both in the, the raising and the time, the effort, and the energy, but also if they've purchased calves and are feeding calves along the way. So any investment, any, you know, investment in that is risky. And I would say even investments in yourself. I mean, think about, um, you know, I think about college kids right now that are coming out. You're coming out into an awful economy. You may have just spent 50, 80, $100,000 on education. And guess what? There's no guarantee you got a job right now. So that, that's also, you know, a risky type investment. Now, is that gambling? No, you're, you're making a prudent decision based on allocating some resources and you believe over time there will be a return on those assets. That, that's typically what we do in the stock market. Again, I'm going to say typically. Typically what we do is we look at, you know, a company and they're, you know, they make $2 a share and they're, you know, on an on a earnings basis and, a prudent multiple for that is, you know, a 10 multiple. So that stock should trade at $20 a share. So if I can buy that company at $16 a share, I think that there's some upside there and it, you can make money. Now, that, that's, that's what prudent investing is, is finding value of looking at companies that are going to grow those earnings over time and therefore participate in the profits of those companies. However, you can also do what's called day trading. And you can get in and you're looking for very short-term, quick moves that have nothing to do with earnings, that have nothing to do with corporate uh, profits, that have nothing to do with participating in the growth of a company, but you are quickly moving in and out of stocks with no uh, you know, desire to, to really grow and participate in profits. I'm convinced that if you're doing that on a, especially on some of these high frequency basis, that, that, that it's just gambling, it's chance. The, the definition of gambling is when you're looking at chance, um, not looking at, you know, value over time, but looking at absolute, you know, chance. And so you can have an investment strategy that is purely high risk chance, especially if you're investing in, you know, what's called penny stocks, you know, these companies that are worthless that, you know, will move for a while on their way to bankruptcy. You know, there's, there's investment strategies at 100%. I would tell you is no different than going to a riverboat in Mississippi. So yeah, is can investing be gambling? Yes. Uh, there is a super wonky intersection that we should do sometime about uh, is, is value investing more godly than momentum investing. I just think that the, the crowd for that would be like super small, but I'd be, it'd be super, super like wonky. Rams, I think. Yeah, it'd be super wonky, but I would dig it. Um, so yes, there, there is a, there is a point where, um, and again, I don't think that's defined. I think we got to be like, like so many things. We got to, we got to be prayerful and meditate about this. Am I in, in my investment in that part of my saving? Am I doing that in a godly way? Am I doing that in a prudent way with God's resources? Would, 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 again, if these things are God's, are we comfortable telling God that, Hey, you know, I put it all on this, uh, on this three penny stock. Um, because I was looking for a short-term blip today and was going to try to sell it this afternoon. That, again, that, that doesn't feel uh, like something that we should be comfortable with with God's money. Uh, I had a couple more of these. Um, is retirement a godly ideal? Uh, I think this leads to an interesting discussion. So I'm, I'm going to offer a couple of Bible verses here um, and, and get you to respond. So I, I would say that in the world at large, retirement is a, it is a uh, worshipped ideal in some ways. 
cannot wait to get to retirement. Cannot wait till I, I can I can do what I want to do and put aside daily obligations. And I've saved up so that I can um, I, I can live with with my desires and do what I want to do. It's kind of the world's view of that. I can play golf every day. A um, couple of couple of thoughts in that regard. Uh, I'll always go back and when this conversation to Genesis chapter two and verse fifteen, that um, when that God's um, vision for us of man's ideal, like Eden, um, perfection, that man had a job. Uh, the man was in the garden to keep it and to work it, and that was in Eden. That was before the fall. That was when. That was when. That was the ideal. It was that man had a? I'm sorry. Utopia. That was utopia. That was the ideal. That that man had a responsibility. Man had a job. That that uh, I think we. I don't think it's a stretch to say from that 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 man is intended that that uh, man's highest and, and best use of of um, intellectually and, and spiritually that, that there's intended to be work involved in man's life. Secondly, I would say um, there even in the Old Testament. Look at Numbers chapter eight um, in, in other places that if you look at the Levites in, in Numbers chapter eight, they were directed to work in the tabernacle um, for I think it's 20 to 25 years. And then their work in the tabernacle was completed and they moved on to minister brethren into other to other roles. But that role for them as a worker in the tabernacle was completed. Uh, so anyway, I would, I would put those verses uh, to you and uh, say, so what do we, how do we take all that and come up with a, a, a Christian, a godly view of retirement? So, and, and I think that it's always important to define terms. So when we're talking about retirement, what we're talking about is replacing an income stream that I get currently on a W-2. So I go to work and I clock in and I clock out and I get a paycheck for that. So can I save up enough percentage of that paycheck over my 30, 40 year working career to where now I've got an income stream where I don't have to go and punch the time clock, but I still have enough money coming in to pay my bills. That, that's really what we're talking about is this shift from, do I have to go to work for 40, 50, 60 hours a week? And can I get the same or at least enough money that I need because I've now paid off a bunch of stuff and um, my bills are, are at a certain level. So that's what we're talking about. So in those terms, retirement, I, I think is absolutely a godly ideal, but what are you retiring from and what are you retiring to? I think if, if when we replace that income stream, if I'm doing that to lay on the couch or to sit in the rocking chair and not be involved, no, I mean, I think that's a, that's a terrible, that's a bad steward of what God has blessed us with. But if, if I are now, I don't have 40 hours that I'm holding to XYZ Corporation, and now I've got 40 hours freed up for kingdom purposes, absolutely. We, I mean, we should be working to that as, as soon as possible. That now I can take that time, that effort, that energy, that intellect, those, by the way, skills, assets, and abilities that God has blessed me with, for the purposes of the kingdom that I've used to enrich XYZ Corporation, now that I can use them full-time, 100% for the kingdom, 100 yeah, absolutely. That should be what our goal is, is that we retire to be of more service to others, more service in the kingdom. We retire to be able to, to, to do things. You know, I, I've 
jokingly said for you know the last 20 years that I've been a financial planner is that you know I'm a financial planner to support my preaching habit. Like I, I, that's why I do what I do. I love and enjoy helping people and helping families 100%, but it supports my ability to, to preach and to teach and to spend time with others. So if I can save over time and free up to where now I can preach with, as, as Paul said, without being a burden to congregations, I can, can come and share and teach. That's, that, that's what my personal goal is. Now, to the, to the effect of where everyone has their own skills, talents, and abilities, I think that's got to be part of the retirement plan that, you know, I'm retiring to be able to do this. I'm not going to go 40 hours a week to XYZ Corporation, but I'm going to do this for the kingdom. I'm going to use this skill set to be effective in the kingdom. I don't know who this XYZ Corporation is, but it sounds like a terrible place. I don't know <laughs> anybody would want to work there. Uh, but yeah, completely agree with all those points. I, I would I would direct anyone to Numbers Chapter 8. I just think that's so instructive, at least to me and that these these Levites had a had a job. They had a they had a their work was in the tabernacle, and there was a time when that work was completed. There's a time when our when our earthly job uh, there, there's probably a time when it needs to come to an end. But when that ended, they it was very clear. God was very clear to them that they had a role in in the nation of Israel after that point, even after their work life so to speak was completed. Their job was to minister to the brethren and guard the tabernacle and 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 to do things for God's purposes, even after their work life was completed. Uh, so I, I think that helps me understand what my retirement ideal is. Um, last question, um, Mike, how much is too much? And, and I think that this is a, um, this is one that we're not going to give a prescription for. I'm not sure there is one, right. but there, there is a point when saving becomes accumulating and, and that's a, that's a dangerous, it's a dangerous place. Um, I think that at least we need to be aware of that and cognizant of that is if, if we are, if we are becoming a bucket, if we're becoming an accumulator of wealth, instead of what we talked about last time, a funnel, a distributor of wealth, that becomes a problem. It, it makes perfect sense to, to save um, for replacement of things and for the retirement that we talked about. But at some point those things get funded. And when those things are funded and we're comfortable with where they are and they can cover our needs, is there a point where that becomes accumulation? I believe the answer is yes. Um, and, and we do become a bucket. And I think that is a danger as God continues to bless us. That is a danger we have to be on the lookout for. And I think that, you know, that's the, the hard question, right? That's the hard look in your mirror question of, you know, this, savings account can become our God. I mean, we can be so dedicated and responsible to, you know, meeting these savings goals that that's what becomes important. And, you know, the question becomes as, you know, cause you can always take one goal and replace it with another, right? Once I've saved dishwasher money, now I need tire money and now I need whatever you can, you can assign a new goal to everything um, and, and force into that. But to me, the, the litmus test has always been, you know, how willing am I to put my saving on hold to help somebody else? You know, how willing am I to, you know, in this budget to go in and make adjustments because there is a need? You know, I'm, I'm always in awe of, of that story in Acts where everyone went and sold their property. And I think about what if that happened today? You know, maybe we don't go sell our property, but would we all go cash out our 401k? 
would we all take whatever liquid assets we have and bring them to, you know, the elders or, you know, if we had apostles, you know, how willing would we be to do that? Um, and again, the important part to remember from that story is it's, it was always an individual choice. That was the rub with Ananias and Sapphira, right? Just be honest with what you're selling. You know, it was perfectly fine for them to keep back a portion of the money if they had just said, hey, we're going to give you 80% of the proceeds of this house. We're going to keep 20 in the bank, you know, for savings purposes or whatever. They got no qualms from the apostles about that. The rub was is, is that they lied. So, you know, but I, I think about that, you know, how willing are we to divorce ourselves from our individual financial goals if it meant helping others, especially in a meaningful way, like, you know, the situation that happened there in Acts. Um, and, and I think that's a question we ought to ask ourselves and, you know, really with truth serum, how would I answer that question? And that's going to tell me whether, you know, I'm, I'm truly a bucket or a funnel. Yep. And, and that obviously that, that, that has impact on what, you know, if you ask the question, well, what percentage of my income should I be saving? Well, that's a, that's a fluid question. That question has to do with, is this a year of abundance <laughs> in, in the, in terms of Joseph, is this a year of abundance? What is the condition of our flocks? Um, do, how, what's the condition of our replacement fund currently? Is it, is, have we been saving for the past 10 years and, and we have a replacement fund in good place? We have a retirement fund in good place, or are we just starting with that? Um, the, the, the answers to those questions could change what, what is prudent saving dramatically, which is why it's hard to have a prescription for that. If we have a replacement fund, if we have life insurance, if we have retirement funds, then, then maybe the, the amount that needs to go to those each month is, is much smaller. If we haven't set anything aside, we need to be taking a more sizable percentage and putting it toward those areas. So it's hard to have a prescription for that. The other, the other test the heart question there would be if we have, um, if we have had those years of abundance, if we have been blessed and, and those replacement and retirement funds are funded to a point where we're comfortable, then what happens to that abundance? Is it going into the giving bucket? Is that flowing over into the giving bucket that we talked about last lesson? Or is it flowing into the consumption bucket? Um, that that's a test the heart question also. Um, yeah. and, and there there's, we're going to get to this kind of down the road when we get to the house too. There's also, you know, if you've got a, you know, family of four living in a, you know, two bedroom house, it, it's okay to say, Hey, you know, maybe we need to expand here and some of that money needs to, to roll to that. And, but it's, we're going to talk about too, you know, are we accumulating assets to accumulate assets or are we accumulating capital assets to be useful in the kingdom? Um, and, and, and that's got to be part of this conversation as well of, you know, not just building bigger barns for the sake of building bigger barns, but are we building bigger barns to use those barns in the kingdom? Um, that, that's part of this, this as well, um, that we think about where we're shifting the abundance to and, and what we're comfortable at. Um, but but the, the other thing here is, uh, you know, I, I keep coming back to when we think about, you know, where, where are we truly laying these treasures up? But, you know, it is, is this, is the savings account becoming my God that as long as I have this, I'm okay. Um, that that's something that, that we've got to, we got to constantly kind of beat on ourselves with. If you put, you know, fill me up full of true serum, you know, and said, Mike, I need a hard number. Uh, the number I would give you, if you're just starting out, if you don't have these accounts in place is probably 8% or one twelfth of your income. 
to, to start. If you have zero savings and, you know, a bunch of credit card debt, um, I would take that one twelfth and throw it at the credit card debt to get your savings account at least to zero. Because as we talked about before, if you've got credit card debt and no savings, then you're running a negative savings, right? We understand that. So that's got to be wiped out to get that number to zero. And then you're, you should have six months worth of expenses, household expenses on hand in that liquid savings account at all times. That, that's what helps in pandemics. That's what helps if you're, you get laid off, gives you time to find another job. Um, so, you know, I would start there with, you know, roughly 8%. But, but here, here's the thing. Um, and, and, and I will kind of close here because we're, I know we are running out of time and, um, and, and I don't want to get away from this, but, you know, so we talked about close to 15% in our giving fund, right. You know, out, out of our, our income, if you're not saving, then that number needs to be about 8%. So, so we're at 23 in this family, in this household, you know, your effective tax rate. So we're, we're going to have a whole class on taxes, but effective tax rate is, for the income that you have today, how much, what percentage of that income goes to Uncle Sam, all right? So that effective tax rate is another 5%. So we're 15, eight, we're, we're 23 plus five, we're at 28% of your income in the first you know, two lessons of budgeting. So you know, when you think about that, that now with the remaining 72% of your income, that's where you've got to make you know, how, what kind of house can I afford to buy? What kind of, uh, you know, car can I afford to drive? What kind of neighborhood can I afford to live in? You've got to start making those decisions on those net dollars. But if you go to your local banker and, and I work for a bank and I love banks, but the mortgage loan officer that sits next to me is a great guy and I love him to death, but he's going to tell you, no, 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 no. Take your gross number and you can live on 36% of that as your mortgage payment. So as long as your total payments and all that are 36% of that gross number, you're perfectly fine. And by the way, those payments don't include food or utilities or anything else. That's why it's 36%. So they will tell you numbers that are not based on these biblical principles that Michael and I are talking about. You know, we need to, you know, pay God first, kingdom goals first, set aside some emergency money second, because you know, if you buy the house and use all your money for the house, if something breaks in the house, you can't afford to replace it. You got to see Uncle Sam. So now we're getting to the net dollars that you can use to allocate for those resources. Yes. And, and you know, I think in our example, I was just doing the math in our example, uh, the, the mortgage itself was about 18%. Mm -hmm. um, so just to give you an example, use that as an example. And, and to your point, debt to income as defined by the world doesn't fit in our doesn't fit in our stewardship budget um, but if you take out giving if you take out saving and then start there then then those numbers get a little more realistic and that's kind of a practical example or practical way of how to do that um, i'm going to do this in 30 seconds or less mike because i know we, we stretched on here <clears throat> practical tips we've talked about these uh, separate into separate um, and I put emergency because I had not had this lesson yet and I hadn't learned from you that I'm going to call their replacement fund. So separate replacement funds, I think make a ton of sense. A car replacement fund set aside, we know that's covered and then maybe move on to the roof and then maybe move on to the, to whatever's uh, the tires or whatever's next. Nothing wrong with separate funds to, or at least mentally we're thinking about that. And then secondly, I would say it's easier if it's automatic. Um, that's, that's the, the way that, um, 
government makes sure we pay our taxes is that it's automatic. It comes out of the check and we don't get a say in it. And so if we, if we set up our lives in such a way that with every paycheck, um, some is going to savings. And I would also add some is going to our kingdom purposes, giving account. If those things are happening automatically without us having to think about it, it just makes this process easier. So, so set that up where it happens automatically. And you'll, uh, I believe that we'll find that uh, we, we end up saving in a more consistent way. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so much easier now, right? I, I, like I, I feel bad for, um, you know, the but 20 year old you and me, right. Where you, you know, you were balancing checkbooks. You had to go in the bank and physically move money over from the checking to savings and all that jazz. Whereas now, I mean, you set all the stuff on autopilot. Look, when I get paid, I want $25 to go to this account, $25 to go to that account. You, you can, it's, you don't even have to do anything. It just automatically, as soon as your check comes in, move it around. There are plenty of financial institutions that offer free accounts. You can have 10 checking accounts. Nobody cares. It's, you know, but have those assigned to goals. I, I love that idea uh, of doing that and doing it automatically. Um, but I'll throw one more in there. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Don't rob the dishwasher account to go to the movies. Like that's, don't rob the, you know, tire account because you saw a shirt that you wanted. You know, we've got to, we've also got to have some discipline built in here that once that money goes into that account, the only way it comes out is for the purposes that we set that account up. And that is kind of the point of budgeting, right? Is that, is that we have that plan and we got the discipline to, to stick to it. And so um, the, the first two priorities, um, as we think about what happens to our funds, we're going to give it and we're going to save it. And, and then in our next class, we'll talk about what we can do after that. I believe if those two priorities are in that order and in line, we're in good shape. Yeah, I think those are the godly principles is, you know, give and, and save or give and protect. Um, you know, if we, can get, if we can get those down, the spending side of it, we'll, we'll have a whole lot easier time on. Um, but if you can't get those two down, then um, we're going to have a hard time reigning in the spending. Absolutely. Enjoyed it as always, my friend. Have a good Absolutely. day. Thank you all for dialing in. Um, again, like, share, comment. Um, if you go back to our post from last week, Michael posted that budget worksheet that we're working off of. Um, if you can't find that post or need it, um, email, text, uh, call one of us, and we'd be happy to share that with you. Thanks for tuning in and spending your day with us. Yeah, or comment on other topics that you'd like for us to, to tackle. We'd, uh, we'd be happy to do that. So let us know, and uh, God bless. Thanks.